Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Many college courses focused on business and economics teach lessons about making a profit and beating out competitors. But in Dr. Julie Paxton's Economics of Altruism class at Ohio University, she teaches students about the incentives of generosity, and the class gives back to local nonprofits. Our guests include Dr. Paxton and two of her students, Alex Wainwright and Alex Armstrong. You developed this course called The Economics of Altruism, yes. which sounds very fun to me, and it's mm-hmm. it has an interesting kind of intriguing ring to it. Mm-hmm. Is altruism the same as kindness to you, or is there a bit of a difference? I, in the class, in the context of the class, we do kind of use them synonymously just because pure altruism – like where you're doing something for someone else that is maybe even detrimental to yourself, that you're not getting anything in return. It's really hard to find examples of that just because we always get stuff in return when we're kind to other people. Mm -hmm. And so we use a really loose definition of altruism in the class. We really are looking at what motivates kindness and generosity in people. So where does the economics part of that come in? Well, in economics, we look at the decision-making process that people uh, go through in order to allocate their time, their money, you know, what makes people decide to donate money or to be selfish or to be generous. So um, it it really squarely fits within, like, economics in that if we think of decision-making and the decision to be kind to someone, to be generous is ultimately a decision to use your scarce resources, time, money to help somebody else. So um, economics is a behavioral science. And so it makes sense that we would look at um, both kindness as well as greed, right? Mm -hmm. We sometimes identify more economics if, you know, the with greed, but really it's just the corollary to greed is kindness and generosity. It's interesting that 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 would find a place inside a college classroom, mm-hmm. that that would be something that we would study and look at, and I think that that's very mm-hmm. special. Mm-hmm. Along the lines, the entire community is benefiting from that course. Can you talk about there was a $10,000 grant that was given away um, and talk about where that money came from, and um, and we're going to let the students talk too about about where it was given. But can you talk about how that was set up and, and why what that program looked like, how you presented that to the students? Sure, it's actually a repeating gift. So every time I teach the class, we give away ten thousand dollars. Wow! It's um, the money. It really comes from Warren Buffett. Uh, it's his Learning by Giving Foundation, which was established by his children. Um, and so each one of his three children have different nonprofit organizations. Um, and this one is actually run by his grandson now. But the Learning by Giving Foundation is an attempt to teach the next generation how to give money effectively. So it's not only like how to invest wisely, like we have investment clubs and whatnot, but also how can we make money be effective if we're being charitable. And Warren Buffett wants to give away all of his money, basically. He's made that pledge. 
if you're going to give money away, how do you do it the most effectively? So the Learning by Giving Foundation is really an interesting idea because it's not only allowing Warren Buffett to give away his vast resources, but it's it's teaching the next generation how to do that effectively. So in the class, we look at things like the the relevance of the the nonprofit, the impact, the sustainability, the excellence in management, and they have to think about all those things. And they are literally giving away Warren Buffett's money, and they have to think about it very carefully. And now. Even after this was a seven-year contract with the Learning by Giving Foundation, and even after that uh, comes to a close, Ohio University has pledged to continue that ten thousand dollars. So it's part of an endowment that now, as long as we teach that class, that the students will always be able to give away that ten thousand dollars. Wow, that's mm-hmm. they they see the value in it, and I, mm-hmm. you know, sitting over here, I listening up to this and doing some research about it, I see the value of it. I'm wondering, as you, Alex, and Alex, two Alexes, both sophomores, I'm wondering if you can talk about the value you saw in this course. And and first of all, maybe, Alex, let's start with you, and you can tell me, why did you register for this course in the first place? Sure. Um, I, I just, you know, had some blank space in my schedule that I had to fill, and Carrie Frith, who's the interim dean of, of HTC, told me about this and, you know, said it was really cool. So I looked at it and it sound, you know, seemed really cool. So I took it. I'm, yeah, I've never studied economics before. That doesn't really have anything to do with my major. And normally I would kind of avoid that kind of thing. Uh, math is not my thing by any means. Um, but, but it, I don't know, it was interesting because it's so unique. So, um, I, I, yeah, that's why I took it. So you kind of jumped in and said, I'll give it a shot and yeah. I'll see it. Yeah. And once you were in the class, were you able to see how you might use this someday in the workforce, even as a French major? Um, I think it'll give me, you know, different ways of thinking about things because you never really think about kindness from a, you know, with, with a critical lens normally. And, and being able to do that, like Dr. Paxton touched on, it, it helps you, you know, make decisions in a more informed way than you otherwise would have. And everybody always has to make decisions about uh, allocating resources, whether it's, you know, out of altruism or for some economic benefit, whatever you're doing. So it's it's always going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. How about you, Alex? You are a sophomore as well, and you are a business economics and pre-law major. Am I getting that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So why did you register for this class? So originally when I registered for the class, I was not a business economics major. I was a uh, business undecided major. I was technically business pre-law, but the stipulation of that major is that you have to specialize in another area in business. And I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Um, and uh, Dr. Frost, the director of studies for the Business HTC program, recommended this class to me because I was interested in nonprofit work and uh, just things like that. I wanted to um, be socially engaged in whatever I was uh, going to do. And so that's why I initially uh, enrolled in this class. And I am doing this a little out of order because now I'm actually taking Dr. Paxton's uh, Principles of Microeconomics class 
you're supposed to take before the economics of altruism <laughs> class, but um, I really like was very in- interested uh, by what was taught in that class, which uh, led me to pursue the business economics major. So it actually changed what you wanted to yeah. to do a little it bit. It helped me refine my interests a mm-hmm. lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the nuts and bolts? You actually send this group of students, and how many are in the class, roughly? Um, 15 to 20. Okay, 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you say to them? We're sending you out, and you're going to research these 80 nonprofits? Right. Well, we start out writing a mission statement for the class. So I let the students decide what types of areas they think would be the most interesting to them to help them narrow down that list. And ultimately, they bring the list down to four nonprofits that they'd like to work with. Um, And then in groups of about five, they volunteer for at least 20 hours during the semester for those different nonprofits. And then they write some critical assessments of the nonprofits looking at the sustainability or management or different facets that we talk about in class. And at the end of that, they bring it back to the class and we look at the class mission statement and we think about which of those four organizations best kind of fits the mission statement of what they had intended. Um, Honestly, if you're selected as one of those four, it's already, they've already done a big screen. So, I mean, it's not as if there's winners or losers. It's more just looking at which of those nonprofits seems to best fit with the mission that the class set out. And do you feel that, that each group of, of four or five, do they, do they all back the same horse the whole way through? Like if this is the one that they have done their internship with, mm-hmm. is this the one that they come saying, you guys, we have got to give the $10,000 to this? Or do they sometimes, are they able to see, oh, no, I think that this one might be more beneficial this time around? Right. I've, I've taught the class three times now, and I've seen it both ways where mm-hmm. – People are really, really passionate about their own. Um, but I've also had uh, just on a rare occasion, I've had students say, you know, we don't think this is the right fit for our class. So they, they advocate against <laughs> the one oh, that they goodness. worked with. But the most common is for the students to advocate for the one that they worked with. Although for the voting, we don't allow the students to vote for the one that they worked with. So they have to listen to the other presentations and they have to vote for one of the other Oh, um, nonprofits, okay. and that's helpful. So to eliminate that bias that everyone would have that I'm working mm-hmm. for the greatest one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is natural. For Alex and Alex, what what was the most difficult part of this class? Do you, was it the presenting? Was it the vo- finding the time for the volunteer hours? Was it part of that internship? Um, what about the class was was difficult for you? Um. Well, I have to be honest, the, probably the most difficult part for me was finding the time to um, complete the service learning component. I, I absolutely loved working with the, with the organization that I worked with. It was a little difficult because they're located in the plains and I don't have transportation. And so we really had to, re- at least the group I was in, really had to rely on coordinating with the other members in, in the group to be able to complete those, which uh, we, we did it, but it was definitely a challenge. Sure. Anytime you go off campus and you're a college student, that poses yeah. some, <laughs> some difficulties. Alex, how about you? Uh, I think it was just a lot of the difficulty that's inherent with group work when you're, you know, the people in this class tend to be involved in a lot of things, really busy. So it was pretty hard to find 
time that all of us could meet and that uh, my group worked with Good Works and Keith Wasserman, um, director of Good Works, is also really busy. So the times that everyone in the group and Keith Wasserman could all meet and work stuff through was, was difficult, but uh, we made it work. So you deal with those sorts of challenges, but yet, obviously, as the professor, you feel that service learning is important enough to make it to make people work through those challenges. Absolutely, um, <clears throat> it's something that Ohio University has really been uh, pushing forward the concept of service learning. And just in this past year, we have passed what's called a C class. So a C stands for community engagement. And we've had now, now we have, I think, nine C classes in the books um, that students can register. And for each one of those, they're going to do 20 hours of community service. And we have another 10 that have already, that are already in the process um, of getting approved. And we literally have dozens more professors um, that we've been working with and training. And um, so it's, it's going to be something that will really revolutionize the Ohio education in that students in every major would be able to take classes where they get out into the community and look at it from a different lens. So this one might look at it from economics, but you could also have it, uh, you know, in the engineering school or in theater or in social work or, you know, it's really exciting. What do you see as the benefits of service learning for those kids who, mm, they really want to take this class, but they're really nervous about mm-hmm. going and, and maybe haven't ever volunteered before? And that's that's mm-hmm. scary for them. Right. All the research shows that when you do service learning, it actually motivates the students to learn the curriculum better, even the academic content of the class. They become much more interested in the class and the content of the class. So they're also able to develop critical thinking skills because they're seeing real world problems and issues and they're able to think about them in a, in a deep way and connect that to what we're talking about in the classroom. So typically uh, students perform better when there is service learning. And you mentioned, you know, the student that has never really done anything before and is apprehensive. And I've had a lot of students like that because I teach two service learning classes in the economics department. Um, I also teach a class called the Economics of Poverty, which is a service learning class. And I've had students the first day when I say it's service learning, get up and walk out. You know, <laughs> they, they, they are out of there. Wow. But I've also had ones stay that were hesitant. And I've gotten emails from them after they've graduated and said, you know, I'm volunteering at the Cincinnati soup kitchen or whatever, and I would have never done that had I not had I not had the opportunity. So sometimes it's really just giving students, pushing them out of their comfort zone into doing something that is difficult, but very highly gratifying. Mm-hmm. And when they've done it, there's no regrets that they find it interesting. And of course, with service learning, there can be a lot of fails too, mm-hmm. because things don't always work out perfectly. And we're all human and there's sometimes not a good fit and whatnot. But overall, my experience has been that the students are hesitant about it, but then they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. How about for the two of you? Did you do a lot of service, a lot of volunteering, a lot of kindness in your communities before you came to college? Or was this kind of um, kind of a new breakthrough for you? Um, I had volunteered before, but but never in the area that I volunteered in, Good Works, is, is an organization that runs a, a huge variety of programs that are related to alleviating rural poverty and homelessness in the Athens area. Um, and just, I don't know, I think that if I hadn't have had that service learning component in the class, 
you know, if it had just been based on research about the various organizations, I think I would have definitely voted for a different one in the end. But having that experience just totally changes, you know, it gives you information that you can never get just by researching and, and you know, thinking about your existing opinions. So I, I think that's really the value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did volunteer a lot before I came to college. I was uh, actually pretty involved in um, the church and the Methodist church specifically, which um, actually is this class was a little different for me because I worked with Rural Action, which is an environmentalist uh, organization, and it uh, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I just didn't know a lot about that topic going into it, whereas uh, Good Works is actually a faith-based organization that I'm uh, a lot more used to volunteering in that uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, definitely a new experience that I, I valued a lot because it is it is different working with uh, organizations that have different missions. Mm-hmm. And right. I, was, I was much more knowledgeable about the environmental side yeah. of things beforehand. So <laughs> Fun. I, I love that you – did you do that on purpose? I do. I do it on purpose. Oh. I don't want them to, to – pick the organization that they want. I, I randomly assign them to organizations so that they don't bring that bias. Maybe somebody's already worked with Good Works, and so then they really want it to win the money. But then putting them in a completely different group and then not allowing them to vote for their group, you know, it's just an interesting aspect. But I wanted to follow up on what you were saying, Alex. Just this generation of college students is so amazing because they have a lot of volunteer experience. They're very socially minded. And the they're eager to be proactive in with all sorts of different social issues. So um, the service learning fits in very well to the mindset of this particular generation of college students. So there's there's the the want to go out and to help people. And then there's the knowledge behind what you're doing to make it really effective. And I know you you talk about power imbalances sometimes making, it difficult to help someone. And I'm wondering, I've heard of power imbalances in, you know, dating relationships and things like that, so- socially like that. But what does that mean as far as helping goes? Mm-hmm. That's been one of the most interesting findings of the class for me personally, as we've done a lot of different types of experiments thinking through that decision-making process of why is somebody kind or why does somebody choose to make a decision to to help or share with someone else. And, you know, as it turns out, people are quite complex and they respond to different incentives and whatnot. But the power imbalance is important um, because sometimes it limits our ability to be kind. Um, if there are certain social constructs that make it really difficult to just reach out and be kind to someone, like maybe you see somebody in a grocery store that's checking out and you they're putting back items, they're not sure, you know, they obviously are not able to pay for all of them. It's if you reach out and say, I let me pay for those you may or may not offend that person. It might embarrass them or you, you know, so there's sometimes difficult to know when to be kind to someone. And in the class, I give them a whole number of experiments to go do random acts of kindness. And sometimes they take credit for the kindness. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's anonymous. Um, And it's really interesting to see what they come up with. Um, And what's strange 
I guess, in, kind of insightful from the class is how difficult it is, how how narrow our opportunities are to actually just do a random act of kindness that's socially acceptable. Like, you know, you can pay for the person behind you. Mm -hmm. That's socially acceptable. You can pop a coin into a parking meter. But you can't just go up and give somebody money or or you can't – like, you know, when one of my students tried, like, sending, like, kind notes to strangers. But then, you know, just really felt like that creeped them out. Yeah, you know? like, right. So okay. like, then the, when we see, like, need and there's a power imbalance, it could be perceived as, like, oh, you feel sorry for me or you mm-hmm. – um, and, and so maybe it's not socially acceptable to reach out. And that's where our work with the nonprofits is really interesting because I feel like the nonprofit sector solves a little bit of that power imbalance because people working with a nonprofit are already voluntarily working with them. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes away a little bit of that edge of, here, let me help you. Mm-hmm. And that there are, there are ways to help people face-to-face without – that power imbalance, but if if the power imbalance is really strong, it can it can be difficult to help somebody without maybe even offending them. Yeah, and I have found before that I have done things that initially do offend people. There, and I'm trying to be mm-hmm. kind. I'm just yeah. trying to oh, you know, I just want to do this for fun or whatever. And I I end up having to explain myself and say, listen, I just I try to do an act of kindness every day. And if you let me do this, then then my act of kindness is done for the day. But if you don't, if you say no, then I got to go find something else. And that kind of gives them the power to say, oh, yeah, I want to be helpful. Let me let sure you can buy my coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see that when you when you add in that nonprofit, they they know. Yes, that it that it it's a nice middleman a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, in, mm-hmm. in a way, because somebody comes to Good Works and they, they know they're coming to the the Timothy house because they need shelter for the night or they know that where they're at as mm-hmm. far as that goes. Is that what you mean with the power imbalance? Yeah, yeah. If, 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 it, if, there's, if you're dividing between the have and the have not, it sometimes can be quite tricky to, to show that kindness in a way that is meaningful and kind of beneficial. Mm-hmm. So do you, before I let you all go, I always love for people to share a favorite kindness story. Do do any of the three of you have a favorite kindness story that just kind of pops into your mind? It could be something you have done for somebody else or something someone has done for you um, that just mattered, where kindness just mattered. I have one. Yay. Um, okay, good. That... I was like, somebody's got to be brave. Yes. There are three of you. <laughs> My favorite was uh, we were at an Ohio State basketball game, and we were sitting up in the rafters, like high up in the rafters. And my son, Andy, was hoping to catch one of the the T-shirts that they were sending up with the T-shirt guns. But, of course, we were so high up, there was no way. <laughs> there was no way that they were going to make it that high into the stands. But every time the cheerleaders came out and started shooting him, he was jumping up and down and trying to get the T-shirt. And um, so this happened several times. And then by the end of the game, um, they they did it one last time. And all of a sudden, a T-shirt dropped on his head from behind. Somebody had thrown him a T-shirt. And it was a child size. And it said, you know, Ohio State, and 
And somebody had thrown him a T-shirt. That they had caught or and something. And when I turned to look around, nobody nobody was, like, they were doing it completely anonymously. Oh, how cool. I loved that, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Paxton, for all you do to, to you know, just, just make the community better. It's just really cool. I know you do a lot in this school and a lot out of the school as well. So thank you for that. And Alex and Alex, I am super happy to hear that you are going to be, you know, the generation that that continues serving people because you have great hearts. Thank you for being here today. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. That was a conversation with Dr. Julie Paxton, Alex Wainwright, and Alex Armstrong. You can learn more about Ohio University's business school at business.ohio.edu. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Madeline Peck. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the NPR One app. And find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd spread some kindness in the review section.